So Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Thanks to Grace for reading God's word for us this morning. Open up to that passage in Luke with me, if you will. All season long, we'll be in the gospel of Luke, those first two chapters. But I want to ask you a question, first of all. If I were to name three albums of musical composition, I wonder if you could tell me what these albums have in common. So the first album is the movie score of Tom Cruise's 1992 film, Far and Away. Second album, Yanni, Live at the Acropolis. Third album, Phil Keggy's Beyond Nature, an instrumental score. And of course, none of you know what all three of those albums have in common because the answer is, that was the soundtrack of my study when I was in seminary. <laughs> when I was in school, I would put on this playlist that I had, those three albums, and my brain knew instantly that it was time to work. Even now, when I hear one of those albums, I feel like I need to go somewhere and study something. That's how Christmas is, isn't it? There's a Christmas soundtrack that dominates the season. So we hear long about Thanksgiving time, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I hear the groans. <laughs> we hear Michael Buble. Does he do anything besides Christmas? I'm not sure. Better yet, we hear those Christmas carols, and when we hear the familiar melodies, our brains tell us that it's time for Christmas. I think Luke comes to his gospel with this same truth in mind. So when he's retelling the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, songs dominate the storyline. Nearly half of the verses in those two chapters are songs, and the stories of those songs. So in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, there are five different songs, maybe six by some counts. And this Christmas season, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this Christmas playlist and how those things framed Jesus' first advent and how in our day it helps us look forward to Jesus' second advent, His coming. 
And, and Ed set it up so beautifully for us this morning. That is when he will come in power and glory, and he's going to set up that eternal kingdom. So today, let's look at this first song. It is Elizabeth's melody about God's promised provision. And so God's people are a waiting people. They are an expectant people. And in those days, when Elizabeth is singing her song, when Luke is writing his gospel, um, the, the, the people are waiting for this long-promised Messiah. And I want to make the point that in our day, we are waiting too. We are waiting for Jesus' return. We are waiting for Jesus' rule. And God's people throughout time have trusted him for his promised provision. And as a result, they are happy and they are blessed. So let's look at Elizabeth's songs, Elizabeth's song that she sings. And let's look a little bit at the background of that song. So starting in verse 39, you know, as we think about the Christmas season, it is uh, normal, it is for us to look at the unusual and unexpected birth of Jesus. That's what dominates the storyline. But Luke begins his gospel not with Jesus' birth, but with John the Baptist's birth. Luke had, he told us, determined to write an orderly account. That's what he wrote in chapter 1, verse 3. And he starts with this episode of John's birth. He shows Zechariah in the temple and the angel announcing to him that uh, they would have a baby, and uh, that might cause us to ask why. Why would Luke start with this account? I think what it shows is that the story Luke is telling is not a new story. It's the continuation of a story that has been unfolding for thousands of years. So look with me at, at Luke chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. We're told of Zechariah's lineage, his family heritage. We're introduced to his wife, Elizabeth, Luke tells us that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. He's pointing back to that priestly system that was established under the law of Moses. That, that was God's provision for his people to come near to him before the Messiah tore down the, the dividing wall in the temple, the curtain. But in the meantime... God's people knew that they were waiting for his perfect provision. And they were waiting expectantly. And then in verse 7, Luke introduces the tension of the story. Every good story has a tension. Zechariah and Elizabeth, he tells us, had no child. Now this is significant. Because from the beginning of the Bible, if we remember biblical history, starting in the third chapter of Genesis... It was always going to be a male child that was going to be the ultimate answer to God's perfect promises. And in every episode of the story where the birth of a son is mentioned, you can feel the mood of the story turn hopeful. Could, could this be the one? Could this be who God was promising? On the other hand... There is a familiar motif that gets repeated in Scripture. Key couples along the way find it impossible to have children. And the unspoken question that always is looming in that story then is, why is that? What is God doing? These people are faithful to Him. 
Think of Abraham and Sarah. Think of Jacob and Rachel. Think of Hannah and Elkanah. And in the same way, we come to this story, Luke chapter 1, and Elizabeth is barren. We understand she felt like a second-class citizen. She says that very thing. She said that, that she had felt reproach, verse 25, at her inability to bear a child. But now, in the first verses of Luke, Luke's account, her husband is told this good news, this great news of the upcoming birth of their son. Now, we're going to look at Zechariah's response in a couple of weeks when his son is born, John the Baptist. But this morning, we're going to encounter Elizabeth and even the baby that is growing within her by God's gift. And now we come to our passage. Mary had come to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth her cousin, and she had received her own surprising news of pregnancy. We'll look at that next week. And Luke tells us, that when Mary shows up, Elizabeth was, verse 41, filled with the Holy Spirit. This song then that Elizabeth sings is not just a joyous response of good news, but it is the inspired words of God written down for us in Scripture, of course. Elizabeth can hardly contain herself. Look at it. When she meets Mary, verse 42 tells us that she exclaimed with a, a loud cry, she makes this happy declaration, and not because of the gift that God has given her. Elizabeth, and Scripture tells us, even the baby growing inside of her recognized that Mary's pregnancy is unique. Elizabeth is inspired to make a prophetic declaration. It is so unique and special that even Elizabeth's son is a mere six months old in the womb, 24 weeks by the way we count pregnancy these days, and already the baby leaps within the womb. John the Baptist right here is beginning his work as the prophet who would point the way to the Messiah. So I want to look this morning, Elizabeth's song reminds us of two truths really, and I think they are these. Christmas is a time of blessing, and Christmas is a time of expectation. So let's look at that first message there in verses 42 through 44. Christmas is a time of blessing. Elizabeth begins to highlight Mary's special role in bringing Messiah into this world. She proclaims words of blessing to Mary. But, but look, and we get confused about this sometimes. What exactly is Mary's role here? As, as Elizabeth proclaims blessing on Mary. Mary's blessing is not because she has any kind of merit, but because the reason for her blessing is that child within her. And we're going to look at the way Mary frames this next week, and it's going to be clear that Mary is humbled and grateful to be used for God's purposes. See, when God uses his people, they're happy and blessed. So Elizabeth declares that Mary is blessed, verse 42. And that word translated blessing, we've, we've kind of circled around that a lot over the last few months. It's familiar to us, or at least hopefully it is. We've encountered it recently in the book of Ephesians, but it's this traditional greeting in this passage 
but it's also a prophetic statement of truth. But, but remember back to Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is the way Ephesians starts off. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with ever spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So just like Paul proclaims the truth of every believer's spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Elizabeth now is declaring the blessing of God on Mary. But look, she's not just blessed with everyone else that is part of God's people. She is particularly blessed. Blessed are you among women, Elizabeth sings. Now, the story's familiar to us, so think about this. Mary is an unmarried, teenage, pregnant woman. But those circumstances would not have made her seem particularly blessed to many people of that day. But look at the way Luke frames the details of this account. They kind of reverse the conventions of society. In fact, in ancient culture, if we were to witness this interaction, we would have expected that these two women, Elizabeth, because of her age, should have been the one that was being honored. Instead, it's Elizabeth that leads out and speaks to Mary a blessing because of her favored status. It's the, the Holy Spirit has inspired Elizabeth, remember, to speak these words. And in God's economy, the values and norms of society are once again turned on their head. Far from any kind of elevated status, Mary in that day would have been despised. She would have been rejected by the culture. But remember what Paul says to the Corinthians, and it's True, and it's illustrated here. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. See, in God's economy, Mary is just the kind of person that he would use to show his glory. Now, Elizabeth goes on and she makes it clear why she is honoring Mary. She praised God for his provision. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth clarifies here what it is about Mary that puts her in a position of honor and blessing. It's that God has chosen this young woman to carry and to deliver this very special child to the world. Again, we've reviewed this, this blessing language several times in the last months. You may remember that I um, uh, used a statement that I had found uh, in some sermons this fall and this summer. I want to remind you of it. It's this, that when the Lord blesses us, He reviews our needs and He responds to them. When we bless the Lord, we review His excellencies and we respond to them. Now think about Elizabeth's blessing of Mary. Any mother expecting a child, a son, experiences the Lord's blessing. Children are a gift from God. But Elizabeth now blesses this child because this child is God in the flesh. This child is worthy of praise and worship. 
She is recognizing even before she's met him, because he is in his mother's womb, his excellencies. And she's responding to him. If we were reading the lyrics of a song sung by a woman who was excited for her relative's pregnancy, we might read this as a generic statement of blessing. Children are a blessing to their parents. But this woman, Elizabeth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sang these particular blessings to this particular child. She is declaring him beautiful and majestic and excellent so that the world will respond to him. And even as Elizabeth declares the excellencies of God in worship, as so often happens, she also starts to reflect on her own standing before God. Look at verse 43. Here's what she wonders. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now think about the circumstances. Verse 37, God has done the impossible. Verse 7 Luke reminds us that Elizabeth was barren and both she and Zechariah were advanced in years. She had received God's tremendous blessing herself. But the good news of the coming Messiah caused her to focus on blessing others, on blessing God's Messiah in worship. Think about that. How excited would Elizabeth have been that she who could not have children ever and thought she never would now was with child? And yet the first thought that comes to her mind when she's visiting her relative is, blessed are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What an act of humility that was. You may have heard that popular definition of humility. It's a summation of C.S. Lewis's work. It says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just simply thinking of yourself less. Elizabeth had every reason to think of herself in this moment. She was experiencing the joyful moment of her lifetime. It would have been natural for her to sing her own joy, proclaim the gift that God had given her against all odds. Instead, she's focused on God's work. She's marveling and rejoicing at Mary being chosen to bear the Messiah and bring him into the world. And then look look at the passage. Not only is Elizabeth celebrating the truth, but this infant son who is John the Baptist within her is also moved in response to God's work. Luke chapter 1 verse 15 had said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This child who was a joy to his mother and his father who had waited for the blessing of children, his joy was in the Messiah come to save the world from their sins. And so twice baby John's response is noted he leaped at Mary's greeting both in verse 41 and verse 44 and Elizabeth his mother explains her baby's action as a response to the Messiah verse 44 she says this for behold when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy all of creation 
even those that are incapable or unaware, are programmed to respond in worship to the Messiah. Jesus notes this fact later as he comes into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. He says, if these were silent, some who are declaring Hosanna, the very stones would cry out. Well, it's not stones in this case, but it's a baby in his mother's womb. It is the nature of creation to respond joyfully and worshipfully to the Creator. Hmm. Isn't Christmas a time that we expect that we are going to experience joy and blessing? Isn't that sort of the way we're programmed? We reserve that time for our family and tradition. Uh, in, in, in this unique season, we're even told by society to pursue joy and blessing through our generosity. And so we look for meaningful ways to give back. We volunteer at a homeless shelter or we donate toys to a toy program. It, it is a wonderful, beautiful, special time in the year when the culture seems to agree with the truths embedded in Christianity, at least partially. But as good as these things are, they are not going to bring us lasting happiness. And so if we as believers want joy this Christian Christmas season that extends into the new year and extends beyond that, the answer is that we wouldn't be focused on ourselves, that Elizabeth wasn't. The answer is that we wouldn't even primarily be focused on other people, although that's the way culture tells us we should be. Instead, I would say this to you who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Focus on God's provision in Jesus. Everything revolves around him. This is what Elizabeth does. That's what John the Baptist did in his mother's belly. The Holy Spirit spoke through Elizabeth as she sang this song that declares the excellencies of Jesus. She proclaims blessing for Mary, who God had chosen to bring him into the world. Think about songs at Christmas. Aren't the songs that we hear, um, they, they often steer us in a different direction. I'm not talking about Christmas carols. I'm talking about all those good old-fashioned Santa Rudolph frosty songs. Don't they steer us in a different direction? Think of a, a song like, the Christmas song. By any account, it's one of the most popular uh, songs of the season. And in a couple of lines, it names all the things that people imagine bring joy when they think of Christmas, the perfect Christmas. Now, I don't like chestnuts, but they're roasting on an open fire. And Jack Frost is nipping at my nose. And Yuletide carols are being sung by a, a choir and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows that a turkey and some mistletoe will help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. Why? Because they know that Santa's on his way. He loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeers really know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase to everyone from kids from 1 to 92, although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. What a great song. 
hits every, I'm not going to sing it for you in case you thought, that's not going to happen. It hits every nostalgic note that we want at Christmas. It leans into the warmth of the season. But all the things that this song envisions are not what truly lie at the heart of Christmas. Cold weather and warm food and memories and innocence and imagination, a family's love and connection that spans the generation. All of those things are wonderful things. I hope that you experience them. I hope that I experience them over the next month. But there is a deeper meaning. More than prioritizing family and the warm feelings that bring us joy, Christmas is about Jesus. Elizabeth had every right to expect that others would be drawn into her orbit of joy. She had waited years and decades to announce a pregnancy. But her focus was on a greater joy of what God was doing. And that's what brings us the blessing of Christmas. And I imagine that we don't need a sermon this morning to tell us that Christmas is a time of blessing, but we do need to understand what that word blessing really means. It gets thrown around a lot, and we think it's a feeling that we experience in the moment. But what does blessing actually mean? I think we find it in this second message in Elizabeth's song. It's this, that Christmas is a time of expectation. Verse 42, Mary and her baby are blessed in that God has visited them and blessed them with the events of that first Christmas time. But there's another blessing declared in this song. Look at verse 45. Elizabeth speaks again of God's blessing to Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This time, Elizabeth uses a different word for blessing. Previously, she had been, Mary, had been blessed by what had already happened to her. Now, Mary is blessed that her confidence in God brings her the satisfaction that accompanies her faith. Her blessing comes from faithful expectation of God fulfilling his promises. And Elizabeth does more than simply proclaiming a blessing for Mary. She proclaims actually blessing for every person who waits in faithful expectation of God's fulfillment of his promises. We read this, verse 45, blessed is she who believed, but it could be translated legitimately, literally, blessed is the one or everyone who believes. See, you and I can experience the same blessing as Mary, satisfaction in God's provision. If we have faith that God will keep his promises. For Mary, imagine this in that day, the fulfillment of God's promises are yet to come. For, for most people of that day who knew nothing of Mary's pregnancy, the Messiah is yet to come. They don't know that God has already been incarnated and lives in Mary's body as this little baby. 
That word fulfillment is very key there. Look at it. It means completion, verse 45. The birth of a baby, that's not the totality of God's plan. This baby's going to come. He's going to live among the people. He's going to die on the cross for their sins, and he's going to rise from the dead three days later in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Ultimately, God's plan was inaugurated in Jesus' first advent. We use that word advent. It just simply means coming. So in Jesus' first coming, God's plan is inaugurated, but then it will be completed in his second coming, his second advent. So just like Mary and Elizabeth and all of the others of that day, the fulfillment of God's promises exist in the future for us as well. Ultimate fulfillment will be realized at his return. And I don't know about you, but I find waiting hard. But when I wait, like Mary... With faith-filled expectation, I can experience God's blessing. And yet, so many people, even some of us, put our hope and our expectation in our experiences right now. We are not good at waiting. And so we, uh, we, we've waited months and, and Christmas is that holiday that's going to sort of put a nice little bow on the year after all of life's difficulties. And so if our year has been difficult, there's burnout at work or difficulty in our marriage or health problems, a good Christmas is what we're counting on to get us back on track. I'm grateful because Christmas provides that opportunity to stop and to think about the deeper meaning of things. And there's a lot of talk during the Christmas season about that kind of thing. I was watching a Christmas special just the other day and this week, and they used this phrase, the reason for the season. I mean, I'm talking on TV, you know, major network, and they talked about the reason for the season. Now, we all know that that's a phrase that originated in the church speaking about Jesus. So I leaned forward to see what they were going to talk about. And in this show, they never talked about anything what the reason was, except for some generic, warm, nostalgic feeling. Something to make you feel good in the moment. They pointed to some vague notion of helping others in need. Look, instead of a general call to just do good, we can have confidence in where we are placing our hope and our expectation and our meaning this Christmas season. Family, it is natural and good to feel hope and joy and expectation during Christmas time. But you and I have a certain understanding of what determines the meaning of our season. We can't count on saying or singing or feeling or doing the right things in one season to meet our expectation. Our hope comes from faith in Christ. 
Nothing else is going to satisfy. Jesus came to earth at Christmas time, yes, and we remember that and we mark that occasion and we rejoice in that. But he was not just to be fawned over as a precious infant child. He came to, church, to, to earth at Christmas time, born as an infant, but he was God in the flesh. He came to live a life that others could not live. Perfect obedience to God's law. And he did all of this so that he could present himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin when the time came. Only a perfect sacrifice was acceptable and only Jesus could be the perfect sacrifice. So 33 years he lived the perfect spirit-filled life so that when the time came he could die and in death he didn't have to pay for his own sin because there was no sin. But instead he paid for the sin of humanity. Jesus came as an infant in Christmas time, but he was not a needy newborn baby. He came as God and creator and king. Death could not hold him, and so he rose in power and majesty to prove his deity and to provide the same for those who believe in him, that same resurrection power. And those of us who are here this morning, as we place our faith in him, we can experience the same hope and the same blessing that Elizabeth declared for Mary and all the people who believe in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, now is the time, the perfect time, to come to faith in him. If you are a, are a believer in Jesus Christ, our hope comes as we, as we wait faithfully for his return. Ed pointed to it at the communion table this morning. God's promises still have a future fulfillment in Jesus' rule and reign on the earth. This is what we look forward to. This is the ultimate moment. I, I love Christmas. It is fun and nostalgic. It is a time to remember that Jesus came as a baby. We celebrate God's provision at the original Christmas, but it is not the ultimate provision and promise. He is coming again in power and glory, and that is where our hope and expectation lie. So earlier, we looked at this Christmas song that we sing every Christmas, and it's fun, but it's a little shallow, and it didn't really do a good job expressing some of the expectations of Christmas. But there's a myriad of other hymns that we'll sing in worship this month that will do just that, that perfectly capture the blessing of our faithful expectation. I think of this hymn, that's one of my favorite, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. You know the words? Born to set thy people free from our fears and our sins, release us, let us find our rest in thee. Now look, history, Israel's strength and consolation. Now us, hope of all the world, all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And it goes on. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. 
What, what a great declaration of our hope and our expectation. We can feel confidence in Jesus' certain coming because we stand convinced of his future rule. So just as Elizabeth declared blessing on Mary for waiting in faith for her baby to be born, that signified God's promise fulfilled, you and I wait in faith for Jesus to return as king and fully fulfill the promise of God to all generations. Let's pray. What an amazing promise it is, God, that you are the fulfiller of your, uh, the things that you've declared to be true. And Father, even as we wait a couple of days for Christmas Day to come, help us to remember that we are also people who are waiting for something much, much better, much, much bigger. And along with Elizabeth, we sing praise to Messiah, though now we know the fuller story, God, of his, not just his birth, but his death and resurrection. And God, we commit ourselves in faith to longing for his return and his exaltation. We are so grateful for this. Father, I pray that this thinking would dominate our season, that when we hear the thoughts of the reason for the season, our, 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 our minds would not go to lesser things. Our minds would go to Jesus. And in doing so, God, we respond in ways that may look very similar to the ways society is telling us to respond, but we do so out of loyalty and, and devotion to him. Father, give us that perspective this season. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.